Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. This is Phil Grooms here, and I have two of my friends to join me tonight to talk about soccer. Matt Baker, Santiago Beltran. How's it going, everybody? Matt, let's start with you. How, how have you been, man? What's new? Good, good. Just looking forward to this decision day matchup. Uh, getting into it a little bit with some other fans on Twitter. It's it's just a run-of-the-mill week. It's an exciting time. The weather's getting chilly. It, it feels like we're shifting into that next gear fall playoffs. And, you know, there's a lot of excitement in the air in St. Louis. It really feels like that time right before this first Sporting Kansas City match where there was a lot of things in, in and around the game being built up to it. And while Seattle's not you would call a rival by any means or means anything directly to St. Louis. It's our first decision day. We know we're in the playoffs. It's a celebration at the same time as you want to get momentum. There's a lot going on. A lot going on. One thing I'm really thankful for, well, maybe this could be my early Thanksgiving thanks, is there's no jitters on decision day. That's amazing. I mean, yeah, who would have thought, not, right? Job's not done. We're going to talk about that in a bit, but no jitters. And I'm thrilled about that. Absolutely. Santiago, what's new for you, man? Oh, doing great. Excited about um, this last game of the season, regular season, and uh, about having soccer back after two weekends without St. Louis City soccer. So very excited. Not the um, decision day, I imagine, uh, when the season started. But hey, I'll take it. Nothing to to worry about. Uh, first place secured, maybe playing to uh, break a couple more records, but uh, things are great. Uh, and I hope the team uh, the team plays well on Saturday and ends the regular season on a high note. So it goes with confidence going into the playoffs. Absolutely, yeah. And we're going to dig into that quite a bit, I think, as this uh, show goes on. Uh, but let's start with normally this is kind of the, the period where we talk about the most recent game. And, and as Matt kind of said in the preamble here, uh, we don't really have one of those, but we kind of do. There was a scrimmage and we have just a little bit of information that we were able to glean. Not me, but uh, the other two here were able to glean from the presser today. Matt, do you want to lead us off with that? Yeah, let's just dive into what Bradley Carnell himself said about the scrimmage that occurred this past weekend on Saturday. Carnell says, quote, it was good getting our group involved and taking a bit of intensity into the weekend. It was great to play against, you know, us. It was awesome. Had some guys come up from the U-17s, had Carson Locker playing, had City 2 boys playing against us. They really put us through the paces and gave us a challenge for 60 minutes. We had two groups for 60 minutes, and the load was very important, and then some of the pivotal characteristics of what we want to do against Seattle, we're on display there too. So yeah, we had some learnings out of that game for sure. And Phil, I think this was this was what we talked about last week. The purpose of the scrimmage wasn't necessarily just to keep fit, but it was also that opportunity to game plan for Seattle and have a prolonged uh, game planning session. And last week, Carnell had a quote where he likened it to the World Cup where Germany brought along their U-20s to give them a little... Uh, practice mm. session where they kind of pretended or, or they mimicked their the strategy of their opponents, what they expect to see. So it was uh, it was good to see that the club took advantage of this in that sense. They 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 didn't just have a traditional um, a scrimmage among themselves. It was game planning for Seattle, and you would expect that. This isn't necessarily anything out of the ordinary, but it's one of those things that knowing what Seattle did the first time, knowing the the danger that they pose, especially on the defensive end. This is something that is good to have St. Louis game planning for as much as possible. 
lovely simile there comparing it to the Germany U-20s. Love that world soccer reference there, Matt. Um, yeah, what stuck out to me is kind of what you said there. Um, some of the pivotal characteristics of what we want to do against Seattle. So hopefully they got a whole lot of uh, energy and athleticism thrown into that. Um, Santiago, any thoughts on, on perhaps what might have happened in that or what they meant by some of those characteristics they're looking for in Seattle? No, I, I like the fact that um, they were thinking about it in a way that um, it was going to get the team ready for for Seattle because, yeah, even though the team is already in first place and maybe this game is not as important, um, I think, um, like, winning against Seattle and basically equalizing the, the season series and... Um, going with a win uh, before the playoffs it's, it's important. So um, even though there is nothing at stake, I think the team is taking it seriously. Um, one thing um, I heard, I was talking to uh, Tom Timmerman this morning, uh, was that the scrimmage was played in the stadium, mm-hmm. uh, which um, I, I didn't know that. I I also took my own break, so I was kind of disconnected from, from soccer for the weekend but but yeah um he mentioned uh, he was played in the stadium and um the the two groups like the first group was um basically the the first like the starting 11 or like the top 11 um it, it, i'm sure when we get into predictions we will all have a different starting 11 but <laughs> um but yeah he said it was like team a and team b going 60 minutes against um academy and city two but, um, but, yeah, it sounds like a, it was a good scrimmage overall. Oh, would it be a fly on the wall there where you could try to see which one of those 11 yeah. uh, might have been what right. was Saturday? Yep, and Seattle can uh, also wish they could uh, guess what that might be. Uh, but, you know, you said it there. It's an important game leading into the playoffs. I hope I'm not saying this too soon, but I think there's a feeling, I don't know if you guys agree, of they got us last time. Seattle got us last time. And it feels like there's definitely a chip on their shoulders to make sure that there's no embarrassment this time around. Yeah, and, and that's part of what what is one of the big things to watch for in this game is that um, so far this season, St. Louis does not have losses against the same opponent twice in mm. MLS play. And this is, I mean, that streak is another streak and another uh, record type of a thing that is up for grabs this Saturday. And it's one of those intangibles that St. Louis is playing for that doesn't really mean a whole lot. But still, it, it'd be nice to say that you didn't lose twice to a single opponent in MLS play through the entire season. And there was that quote. Was it Berkey that said something about we weren't used to turf? They're used to their turf. And yeah. and I know yeah. that's that's a bit of a throwaway comment for me when it's like, let's not get hung up on the word turf. But I just say that to say that, you know, clearly it's bugging them and they want that one back. Yeah. Yeah. The home field advantage aspect definitely plays a part when you're talking about the playing surface and what they're used to, what they play more of their matches on. So it, it doesn't help Seattle in the sense of, you know, an ideal playing condition for them, but they know how to manage it a lot better. Absolutely. Uh, let's move on to player notes. This is the first one here is the one that I literally logged on Twitter and scroll through your entire entire thread there, Matt, to find out what is up with Indy Vasilev and kind of what Sorry, happened man. on the, in his 32 minutes in the Olympic game the other day, missing the first game, obviously coming out early. I'm sure that wasn't the plan. So, you know, no word, really not much there. Right, Matt? 
Right, and to catch everybody up, yeah, Indiana Vasilev, Jabulu Blom were the two players who were called up to their national teams this past break. Jabulu Blom with the South African men's national team, Indiana Vasilev with the U.S. men's Olympic team in their camp and their two matches. Uh, it's a U23 team. Indy Vasilev did not feature in the first game. He was literally the only outfield player to not feature at all in that first game last uh, last week. And then on Tuesday, he played 32 minutes starting up front as, as you called it, Phil, an inverted right winger. And we noticed that he didn't really feature much in the run of play. He wasn't, the ball wasn't moving through him much. I noticed it was being moved a lot through Paxton Aronson out on the left. And so he didn't really seem like he had an opportunity to uh, showcase himself. And then he was subbed out after 32 minutes. And the, the, I, I don't know if you call it a rumor or the reporting was that after he didn't feature in the first game because of, whether it was an illness or an injury or, or something was going on where he didn't feature health-wise. And then to see him only play 32 in the second game, it gives you concern. And the quote, we're going to have a quote on the overall health of the team in a minute, but it's really not going to include Indiana Vasilev because all Carnell said is thinking about how we got Indy back as far as the, the overall fitness of the team. And so you can read between the lines of what all of those things might mean for Indy for his availability this weekend, I think the next couple of days or the next day, really, as far as how his regen goes, is going to be very important because what we saw at training on Thursday from the team activities that we saw was a, very, a healthy looking Indiana Vasilev, full participant in all team activities. He was playing soccer, tennis. He was playing. He was doing the drills the team was doing. He didn't seem to have any limitations on him. And so you wonder what that means for him going into the weekend. Yeah, and I think I'm going to be the, the bearer of bad news here because it's one of two things, and neither is ideal. One is better than the obvious, uh, other, obviously, here. One could just be he did look like he was like hurting internally, like maybe a sickness when he came off. It looked like he was hunched mm. over and maybe heaving or something. And so maybe he did come off because he was just feeling sick still. He came back and feels great. That happens quite often for all of us, right? Give it a 12, 24 hours, and you feel like you're again no problem the alternative to that is that he just wasn't up to the level he was struggling clearly he wasn't getting the ball the one time he had the ball it was a bit of a, a missed a, uh, missed pass um, and so maybe they pulled him off because of performance either way it sounds like um, Carnell is either protecting him or trying to guard his starting 11 for game day this Saturday either way I understand why he's doing the coach speak. He's got to do his thing. I just am always wanting more, right? <laughs> <laughs> of course. But hey, the good news is he's back. Yes. Yep. He's Absolutely. back with us. And clearly, we have no problems with him. Carnell has no problems with him. And I look forward to seeing him, even as a sub, perhaps, in, in the next game at worst. Um, Jabulo Blom, though, player of the game in the first game, Matt. I don't know if you said that already, but um, like, yeah. that's really nice to hear. I know it was low you know, uh, an easy opponent for South Africa, but South African fans were not happy with the performance of the team. And it sounds like Blom was kind of one of the saving graces for, for the team as far as performance. Yeah, it was, it was great to see. And we hadn't recorded since that, um, Eswatini game. So Jabulu Blom, uh, same with Indiana Vasilev, two games that the South African men's national team played in this break. He played 75 minutes last Friday in the first of two of their matches. He didn't feature in the second, but like you said, Phil, player of the match in the first game, uh, which the fans were not high on overall. I think there was a lot of disappointment in the quality of their opponent versus their performance. And for Jabulu Blom to be named player of the match, I think that's one of those instances where, as a St. Louis fan, you assume that if that's the case or Berkey gets the player of the match and we have a nil-nil draw, 
we would be overall disappointed maybe in the fact that that would be against a lower quality opponent. I completely get the the idea from their fans. Um, but from our perspective, it's good that Blom had a good run 75 minutes on a Friday because that keeps him pretty much in line with the cadence of a normal week. And mm-hmm. so you can see a lot of positives for his uh, just his journey and his fitness over the past couple of weeks and what that means for this Saturday. The the downside to that, and this is this is most of Carnell's quote, is referencing Jabulu Blom's travel. Um, he did mention, you know, thinking about how we get Indy back, but he also said for a while, Jobs had a long travel. Carnell says, quote, sometimes it might make more sense to fly from Ivory Coast, who was their second opponent, straight to Frankfurt, and then uh, right over to St. Louis with that direct flight. But unfortunately, he had to go back down all the way to South Africa, and it took 20 hours of his, of his journey and reintegration time with the group and recovery. And we're just managing guys arriving late, seeing where they are, hopefully putting them into spots to be successful on the weekend referencing both Blome and Vasilev. But specifically for Blome, it's interesting to me the way Carnell quoted that uh, because it does speak to a level of hands-on that I think the club had in what they were trying to manage for him while he was with South Africa. Hmm. And so, Phil, when you referenced um, some of the things going on with Indy as far as his health and fitness and what the club may have wanted, you have to wonder how much conversation, how much impact Carnell and Lutz had on both of these decisions where obviously they were pretty adamant wanting Blome to take that flight from Ivory Coast straight up to save a lot of time in his his journey with the club or to be with the club. But you also wonder how close of a tabs they were keeping on Indy and if they were talking with him, finding out how he's feeling. And maybe those conversations had totally speculative. This has absolute no basis in people I've talked to, but trying to draw conclusions, reading between the lines on something I think you you want to see from your club. You want to see them care about the players that are on with the national team. And it's also nothing abnormal. You know, Mm -hmm. we know that club management wants to, wants the best for their players. We've seen players get pulled early for injury concerns. We've seen players, uh, we've seen staff from national teams and clubs have some of those more, more prominent conversations in the media, but it's, it's good that this is backdoor. It's good that we haven't heard any negative things. It's good that the club is keeping tabs on their players while they're gone for, to have their best interests at heart. And um, I guess we'll see what the results end up being on Saturday. Absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that third option there, Matt, because it's a much rosier one and equally possible to anything mm-hmm. I mentioned. Um, quickly, Blome, um, you know, I, we were watching to see whether he'd play against Ivory Coast. Obviously, tougher competition. We want him playing, if he's going to play, against the tougher competition to raise that yeah. profile. If you're just rooting for raising his profile, moving him on to the next level, it's kind of nice as a City fan that we know he's coming back plenty rested to play in the next game as far as long as travel didn't take too much out of him so that was nice but I was a little sad to see he didn't play in the Ivory Coast game as far his as his world profile and I say that in to lead us into this rumored interest from Everton which I find <laughs> very interesting it, it to me it feels like a developmental like in a year he would be the type of player that we would want on our team and so I don't know that's what I felt I don't I'm timing wise I'm not sure what you guys think about whether he would leave sooner or later if that ended up being true if it's true at all what do you guys think well my thought is this is just the first of many rumors we're going to be hearing about Jabula Blom agree uh, joining AZL Jackson joining some of the other players who have garnered rumored interest abroad and this particular rumor comes from X comes from Twitter an account, Wyclef Presley, who's in his bio says sports betting, Man United, you know, those kinds of things with almost 100,000 followers on X and just quoted saying Everton are interested in signing ex-Kaiser Chiefs midfielder Jabulu Blong. 
Hmm. That's it. That's what sparked this entire thing. It's got over 60,000 views on it. Um, it's kind of set St. Louis on fire a little bit as far as conversations of who might be next or who might be first to be sold for a profit, rather, and Blome being a part of that. Now, we know Everton's their battles in the Premier League, um, a, a relegation battling team, and what Blome could offer a team that I think has some of the lowest uh, possession percentages in the league and, and trying to play from behind and what Blome could offer that type of a team. But at the same time, this does seem early in that conversation, Phil. Uh, Blome's acquisition costs were rumored to be around $330,000. His salary is um, around that amount. Uh, We'll talk about that in the wind down when we talk about our MLS player salaries. But you would need to have a significant amount to make the uh, development and initial acquisition costs pay off And we're talking about the, I would assume, the millions of dollars. That conversation, I think, is a little early to be looking too heavy at. And I would be more inclined to worry about Blome leaving next summer, maybe January 25. Yeah, right in perfect time for uh, Perez to become perfect, the perfect replacement for Blome. What do you guys think? Let's move on, though. I know there's one more quote before we move on, actually. Rasmus Alm, there was a comment about his health as well, right? Rasmus Alm's one that I'm a little more concerned about this weekend, and it's nothing new. It's everything that we've been talking about, everything that has been concerning for him with his uh, abdomen and his groin. Uh, Carnell was quoted saying, Rasmus, we're still progressing and looking good for the weekend. In some form or fashion, he might be used. And and I think that speaks to what they want to do with him and as far as the, the initial desire for might be used, if we need him, if if we need a spark in our attack and it may be on the right side and we feel like he provides the look that we really need to get something going, he may see time. I think he's out for starting. I think he's unlikely to be a sub unless we get into one of those scenarios. And it's almost with Rasmus, it's like I'm glad we have the depth in the attack because it covers for this kind of scenario with with Indy, with Jared Stroud on the right side, um, even Thomas Ostrak can play over there. You have you have flexibility to where you don't need to push him too hard and and really prolong this type of an injury. We know Rasmus is waiting until the offseason to really get a prolonged rest and to let this thing heal, and that's what they're working towards. So as much as we can cover for him and not need him as much, I think that's going to be better for him long term. So do you think we won't see him in the playoffs because um, when when he said we may find a way to use him what came to my mind was like well maybe it would be like the typical 10 15 minutes to uh, start the process to get him uh, in game four but maybe not the only thing i think i'm worried about in that scenario is we're heading into the cold weather right and city park's gonna be hosting a whole lot of games in this cold weather and the the nature of the injury, the abdomen, the groin, just taking as much time to warm up as possible, getting into a, a position where you're able to sprint around the field for 10 minutes after uh, doing warm-ups on the sideline, that's that's the thing that bothers me. And, and mm. I would prefer not to see him in that scenario just because I'd rather have a fully healthy Rasmus to start 2024. Um, but if we need him, yeah, you're totally right. If we need him and he's that player that Carnell feels can be the X factor, then we might see him for... 15, maybe 20 minutes. He feels like a semifinal final, like you risk it that. Otherwise, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. The depth of our attack, though, I mean, like, let's, I, we, we don't have time to look at it now, but we're talking Klaus, Adeneron, Joachini, Indy Vasilev, Stroud, Ostrak, Nukvi Thorson. Like, we are, we are deep up top to the point where I think that's enough 
day in and day out with the type of schedule we have left that can cover mostly for, for Rasmus's absence. Completely agree. Lastly, Santiago, any other thoughts from any of the pressers that you have before we move on? No, let's move on to um, Seattle. Great. Preview of Seattle. You're listening to Flyover Footy on the big 550 KTRS. Sorry, Matt. We took a lot of time in that first segment. Had some fun talking about some side items here, but now it's time to focus on Seattle. What do you got for us? I'm ready to be disappointed in not being able to talk about all of my stuff, so yes. let's go. He's used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Preview of the Seattle Sounders. It's decision day. Both teams have 33 games played. This is the final game of the regular season. St. Louis has locked up first in the West with 56 points on a 17-11-5 record. We have 62 goals scored, 43 goals allowed, means a plus-19 goal differential. At home, St. Louis has one of the best records in the league and the best in the West at 11-3-2 at home. St. Louis's form, as much as that matters for the past couple of weeks we've had off, we did lose to Vancouver midweek road match back on October 4th. Before that, we defeated Sporting Kansas City 4-1 at home and then defeated Minnesota United 2-1 on the road. Seattle Sounders, they've locked up a playoff spot, currently sitting third in the West with 50 points heading into this final match. They have a 13-9-11 record. That's 13 wins, 9 losses, 11 draws, because that's how MLS does it. 39 goals scored, 32 goals against, and a plus-7 goal differential. Those numbers are markedly different from St. Louis, and we'll get into the specifics in a minute. They are 6-5-5 on the road. That's also important to remember. Seattle's form over the last three, they drew Vancouver nil-nil on 10-7 on the road, defeated LA Galaxy 2-1 on October 4th at home, and drew Nashville SC 0-0 on the road in September, that last game in September. Here's some of the interesting stats and comparisons about Seattle and St. Louis going into this match. Seattle only has 10 goals and 9 goals against in their last nine games since League's Cup, compared to St. Louis who has 19 goals and 16 goals against in 10 games since. While St. Louis leads the West in goals scored, Seattle is only 11th in goals scored, but they're fifth in the conference in expected goals. And this was an interesting point that I asked Roman Berkey about on Thursday, uh, who obviously doesn't care about stats and made that <laughs> <Yeah>. very clear, <laughs> but did say that you know this was this was his job and he knew exactly what he needed to do as far as the offensive skill that Seattle has. I think it's an interesting point that their XG puts them in a much higher position than their actual goals. That tells me that they get off a lot of dangerous chances, but they aren't converting those. And with 32 goals allowed, Seattle has allowed the fewest goals in the West, and only Nashville has fewer goals in the entire league at 31. I mentioned St. Louis's goals against at uh, 43. And Seattle with 32, vastly different, and they've done well throughout the season. They have 13 clean sheets on the season. In MLS play, Seattle has not scored or allowed more than two goals in any game since July 8th when they beat Vancouver 3-2 on the road. Seattle is also one of two teams in the West that has a winning record on the road. The other happens to be one of the three teams that's beaten St. Louis at City Park, Real Salt Lake. Hmm. So there's a lot of, a lot of besides the defensive uh, fervor that Seattle has and the propensity for them to have clean sheets, not allow goals, this is a team that plays well on the road, and that's important for us because we, this Real Salt Lake team that you can argue was one of the teams that really gave St. Louis the biggest fit, and Carnell mentioned that that was a game that they didn't play within their principles. So it's going to be important for St. Louis to play within the principles. At the end of this, we'll talk about our keys to the game. This is going to be one of my keys to the game, is forcing Seattle really out of their comfort zone and and jumping on them early because we saw in our first match where they beat us 3-0, started the goal scoring after the 72nd minute, that this team can just 
grind it out. They can just grind you as an opponent out and wait until they get their opportunities. They're a very, they're a very mindful team. They focus, they possess, and, and there's a lot that they can do even on the road. They're one of the few teams that have like struggled later in the season that, uh, you know, I, I said this recently, Taylor Twelman mentioned that they're just not looking their normal selves in the end of this season. They haven't complained about CCL, but it does feel like they may be one of those CCL teams that are starting to, to putter out. I hope that's not famous last words kind of thing, but. But, but their form is the recent form is not that bad. Yeah. They are undefeated in their last eight. Um, they, they have a lot of ties, mm-hmm. um, three wins and five draws but have not lost a game since August 21st. So It could be so a yeah, Twelman they, thing. He definitely mentioned the draws and then dwelled on that, so that could be just him focusing on something, which is something he does. But you're yeah, right. But, and both teams, though, I mean, both teams do have things to fight for. So, you know, decision day tends to be uh, a vastly different beast than anything else, not only because of the extra hype surrounding it, but every team playing at the same time. You have all the Eastern Conference teams playing at once. You have all the Western Conference teams playing three hours later, so they're at 5 p.m. and then 8 p.m. Central. Um, Seattle also has a lot to fight for in this, and so I, I wonder how much they're going to be willing to sit back and kind of look for their moments as opposed to being a little more aggressive on the road in the atmosphere that City Park brings because while they're third in the West right now, they're looking to retain and, and ensure home field advantage in the first round. Uh, they value that just as much as St. Louis, even if they're a good team on the road. There's also a fun scenario that was pointed out to me by uh, Jeremiah Oshan of Sounder at Heart, where he was saying Seattle can also remain in the hunt for a CONCACAF Champions Cup berth with a win here against St. Louis. It's a long road for that, but they would need one of FC Cincinnati, Orlando City, St. Louis, Philadelphia Union, Columbus, one of those teams to win MLS Cup and for New England, LAFC, and Atlanta to all lose on decision day. So they oh can qualify God. They can qualify through Supporter <laughs> Shield standings. I guarantee not a single Sounder player is thinking of that, but Probably it's, not. it's something that's at stake for them, and it's interesting to track that among all the, all the other things that we'll be tracking. I but I think more, <laughs> yeah, I think more is staying in the top four. Uh, it's yeah. something yeah. they they are thinking about uh, getting that home field advantage, because yeah, if if City wins and uh, other results happen, Seattle could fall down to uh, fifth place, or yeah, sixth the, place even. There are there are some teams fighting for the playoffs in general, but I nothing is really locked up for anyone outside of St. Louis and I think LAFC, and and that guys to me points to a lot of who the players are for us to watch because there's a lot. And I'm curious uh, who your guys main players to watch are on this team. Mm. Santiago, you go first. Yeah. So to me, um, to me, um, I look at what they have been doing and um, their leading goal score is Jordan Morris with 11 goals. But uh, looking back at when city played Seattle back in April, Jordan Morris at that point had eight goals. Yep. So he has only scored three goals since then. And I know he has made some games due to injury. But uh, just looking at their most recent lineups, um, he has been at least in the last um, couple of games. Uh, But yeah, I was surprised to only see one double digit goal scorer. And then from there, um, the second goal scorer was at five goals. But it makes sense um, based on um, 
what they have been doing, that they have a good defense and haven't scored a lot of goals. But but yeah, Jordan Moore is definitely um, Leo Chu also um, five goals during the year and uh, eight assists. But same thing, he started like really well. It was that connection between him and Jordan Morris early in the year. He had eight assists this year, but um, five of those came before uh, playing City back in April. So so th those two and the one that for me is always one to keep an eye on is Nicolo Deiro. Um, he has um, also uh, 10 assists this year and he he's always uh, one of those um, leaders in that Seattle team and um, he he has played uh, quite he has played um, last year he missed some games due to injury this year he hasn't started all the games but he has been in most of the games yeah that's I think you hit the top three for me but it's it's interesting the the form I think so you guys have really illustrated very well the the difference and we saw it ourselves with St. Louis in April against Seattle how informed they were as far as their goal scoring at that point in time, that at that point in the season versus what they are post-Leagues Cup. I mentioned the stat about the uh, goals and goals against after Leagues Cup for a reason uh, because knowing the, knowing the lack of goal scoring that they've had since Leagues Cup where 10 goals, 9 goals against in 9 games. That's just over a 1 goal per game clip and their star players who carried them earlier in the season talking about your Jordan Morris talking about your Leo Chu Raul Ruiz Diaz Ra Albert Rusnak and Christian Roldan who all lead their team in goals they haven't done anything lately so they're their top goal scorers Morris has two goals since June Leo Chu has two goals since July 15th Raul Ruiz Diaz has one goal since July like these are these are guys that they need to be coming through much more than they are now, I think, if they're going to withstand this gauntlet that is MLS playoffs. And and a lot of this a lot of this comes from, you know, who's getting them the ball. And Leo Chu in particular really hasn't been in the form that he was earlier in the season. I think he's had two goals uh, since maybe a little before League's Cup. But he hasn't really provided the assist. And so that, that limits what they can do out on the wings. And when we talk about their style of play, they're very adept at moving the ball down the wings in their possession style. And if Leo Chu out on the left side isn't delivering service or isn't as much of a threat, you know that's going to that's going to take away what a guy like Akil Watts or Jake Nerwinski might have to worry about, and it lets you focus in a defensive midfield a little more on a Jordan Morris, maybe double cover something like that. Yeah, and when I look at LAFC and what they were trying to do against St. Louis, I think watching the LAFC attack in the first half where I was sitting, watching Oliveira and um, Buwanga just like. They weren't. They didn't score, right? They weren't effective in scoring goals and getting on the score sheet. But what they were able to do to disorganize St. Louis was really good. And I see Morris and Leo Chu being able to do that to St. Louis. And just the fact that they defend so well. You know, Yamar has been one of my you know favorite defenders of the year, and I think it shows like in the quality of Seattle's defense that he's a part of that. And then having someone like Lodero and. Um, having uh who's the striker i'm so sorry i had it in front of me but uh, bear. yeah thank you like just like guys who are just seasoned vets that are able to score a goal like you know just all those combinations on the give on the right day 
those guys are all going to be able to be in combination and just like their system being what is effective in a, in a league like MLS with those players. So and it's not just one guy, I think, in this case, but, you know, you can compare what has worked against us in the past and even what hasn't worked, but was a little scary in the past. That's kind of what I've been thinking about. Yeah, and to me, I mentioned the the finishing problem that Seattle's had, especially since League's Cup, but when you get the ball into the final third, when you get the ball into the penalty box, anything could happen. Like, mm-hmm. it, it really is. You're leaving things up to fate. And so you can make an argument that the most important players to look for aren't necessarily Jordan Morris or uh, Leo Chu or even Christian Roldan out on the right side, but it's guys like Nico Ladero, like Santi mentioned, and Japalo. Because mm-hmm. those are the two players, Ladero and Paolo, who we didn't see Paolo when we played him first True, game. Right. He was injured. And throughout the course of this season, you're looking at two of the top guys in their, their passing categories in spades. So Paolo leads their team by a lot and passes into the final third. He is their Jabulu Blom equivalent, if you're looking at this from a City fan. He's the guy who's looking to, to have that defensive mid lockdown, but at the same time uh, spread the ball upfield and get the ball into those attacking areas, whether it's the wings or the mids. He has almost 100 more passes into the final third than the next highest, which is Nico Ladero. And so you're looking at these two guys along with, if he plays, Albert Rusnak, and he's likely going to be a sub, I would think, in the second half, at least how their lineups have been working out, mm-hmm. as consistent opportunities. And that this goes to their depth, right? We just, Albert Rusnak is a DP, and, or at least was a DP earlier this year. I don't know if they bought him down. But the depth that they have at that high level in the midfield is one of their greatest strengths. And that's, that's where we really have to take it to them and be worried about getting outside of ourselves. And we've seen it happen a few times. The one that is coming into my mind of, in, in vivid memory is Sam Deneron against, I believe it was Orlando when he got his red card. Hmm. Was, whichever game he got his red card where he was in the midfield area and he was trying to press. Yeah. It wasn't Orlando, but um, it, whoever it was, that was a very, you know, we, we, we can easily get caught by Seattle doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was against LA Galaxy. LA Galaxy. Well and it was Ricky Pooj who did it. And if we get caught doing that, that's that's where we're going to be in a dangerous position. Um, there's a there's an aside to this we talked about earlier in the press room that yellow cards reset after this, oh. and so so as we talk about this and as we talk about needing to give the pressure, put the pressure on Seattle, making sure we don't get outside of ourselves. There is a little bit of a leeway, and I was joking that this is the opportunity for all of Sam Adeniran, <laughs> Tim Parker, uh, Jared Stroud all these guys to be a little ambitious in what they're doing. Uh, but if you get two, then you might have an issue with the red card right. in that, but yellows will reset. Um, all that to say that for me, this is another game that I'm really going to be watching the battle of the midfield and seeing how well we can shut down guys like Nico Ladero, Albert Rusnak and Joe Very interesting. Uh, you're listening to Flyover Footy on the big 550 KTRS. We just have a little bit more to go, and then we're going to give some kind of prediction at the end of some sort. And I think it'll be in depth because I've got some ideas, and these guys usually have a few to throw in as well. So I look forward to that. Matt, anything else we should talk about before we get into that? Yeah, real quick. Um, the style that Seattle runs is usually a 4 2 3 1, not unlike St. Louis, but they've been running Jordan Morris up top a lot lately uh, as opposed to Iber. And so you can look for that again, uh, healthy Jopalo. As far as what Seattle does, it's the, almost the polar opposite of St. Louis. They love to possess the ball. They've got a 54% average possession, which is about 10% higher than St. Louis does. Um, Seattle is the eighth slowest sequence team. They're the second most passes oh. per sequence. 
and tied 12th for slowest direct speed. So they're they're not overly slow in how they progress the ball, but they do love to possess it and they do love to work the ball around. They'll get the ball quickly upfield. That's what a lot of these numbers really indicate is they're not overly slow in progressing the ball, but they are overly slow in getting shots off. They will possess to no end in the final mm. third. They'll they'll work the ball around. And that's how Leo Chu had a lot of these assists earlier in the year is they were able to create overloads, get the ball out across him in a switch and he does his work out on the left side to facilitate in the box. That's one of the things to watch for. And I think one of the things that leads to this high XG, um, Seattle also has the highest XG on set pieces of any team in the league. So they put themselves in these dangerous positions in the final third after moving the ball quickly, possessing the ball, trying to kind of wear down their opponent. And the more that they can do that, the more they can frustrate themselves. And that goes back to saying St. Louis can't play outside of ourselves in being too aggressive, they have to be mindful while still trying to be smart on the ball and, and off the ball when they don't have it. And and I think that's where I think Se- Seattle tends to uh, wear down their teams is in that final third after controlling the ball for a significant period of time. Very interesting. Santiago, any thoughts from you before we do our predictions? Uh, yeah, just very quick. Um, I was just thinking about that first game back in April and thinking about what Matt was saying about how they move the ball and um, one thing that one thing to keep an eye on is uh, I know they they move the ball around a lot but uh, one thing that hurt City uh, during that game was the long balls um, yeah. that Seattle um, can uh, put out there and uh, that's how that first goal uh, started so just something to keep an eye on uh, I'm sure um, Carnell and his staff had a look at this game and and we'll have uh, some things to uh, to um, to make sure that doesn't happen again. But uh, what did Carnell call about- that, Santi? He called it a wonder goal from Josh Atencio. <laughs> it, it was it was a great goal for yeah. sure. And uh, it's interesting that Joao Paulo wasn't in that game and Atencio was his replacement. And now if you look at the recent lineups, uh, it's both of them. Uh, yeah, uh, in midfield. And Atencio had like the game of his life. For some reason, he looked so good against City. And I watched this guy play a lot because I think he's an up and, or he was an up and comer for the national team. And mm-hmm. he's never looked that good to me. So I was like, well, maybe he's really good. And I don't know. I think there was something about City. So I'm interested to see Atencio in this next game for sure. I'm glad he, I'm, I look forward to him playing again. Um, and also, Ru Diaz, is he hurt? That's who I was trying to think of earlier. Yeah, so he he has been hurt and he has missed a lot of games. Okay. Um, he has only played in eighteen games this year, mm-hmm. but yeah, he has been injured. Um, I saw. Um, I, I was a few days ago. I saw uh, something that um, Nico Moreno posted uh, that he was doing well in training. Hmm. So hopefully he maybe he kept progressing and he would be available. To play against um, City, but yeah, he has made a lot. He has missed a lot of time due to uh, injury. You know, I was th- trying to think of a veteran striker. He's definitely one of those um, in this league for sure. Um, let's do predictions, guys. Matt, would you like to lead us off with your thoughts? Sure. And this is based off of that table that I put out on our flyover, the Flyover Footy Twitter account or X account, and talking about what our lineups recently looked like. And we talked about it last week. I'm going to go with Roman Berkey and Net, obviously. Anthony Markanik, Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, and Jake Nerwinski on the back line. Edu Leuven, Jabulu Blom in the midfield. And then 
I, I'm going to go with Indiana Vasilev, AZ Jackson, Sam Adeneron, and Klaus up top. And this is predicated on Indy being fit enough to start. If he doesn't, I think Stroud starts for Indy. Interesting. Santiago, what do you think? I'm going to go back to um, that five in the back. Uh, oh, gonna wow. Go a little crazy here. Uh so um Osmond you run johnny Berg. nelson out there too because he played in that first game uh, <laughs> no no not this time uh, so berkey then uh, i have Markanic, and then uh nilson parker yarrow akil watts and then uh blom Leuven, jackson and then adeniran playing against his former team and uh klaus at top so you know five three two Real quick, uh, because we mentioned AZ and and and, uh, and Sam, it was mentioned to me by Jeremiah Oshan at Sounder at Heart that AZ does have a connection to Seattle. He played for... I saw that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Crossfire, I think. Crossfire is their other yeah. academy team. That's the Yendlin thing, yeah. 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 He played for them or trained with them, and he almost got on with Tacoma or Seattle 2, Seattle Sounders 2 mm. at the time. And so there was a connection there, even though a lot of their current staff really weren't familiar with anything. Um, so that, I think, further explains why AZ was with Sam up in Seattle during right. the, the break. <sighs> so cool. Sorry, Phil, I didn't mean to cut you off. It's no, just I great. wanted to get that in there about AZ's connection to Seattle as well. Love that. That was really cool. Um, Santiago, I love that you brought up the five. First of all, I love getting in different uh, lineups just for fun on this show. Uh, but also, like, there's that feeling that we want to get them back. And I wonder if Carnell's like, my idea was right. It just didn't work the way I right. wanted it to. So, like, I'm sure he's thinking that. But my thoughts on our formation really hinges on is Blom 100% to play in this game? Because I think he's True. vital. If we're going to play four in the back, he's vital. And, and, and even if he isn't able and we do play four in the back, is it a Hebert game? I think we would consider that in this case. I know Markanic has been so good, but are we going to risk letting either of those wingers in on us in any situation? if we don't have um, someone like Blom to guard the wings on a counterattack. So I'm really curious what happens with the wingers. I think if Blom's not in, we run Leuven and Vasilev, and we do consider that five in the back because we'll be so much safer on counterattacks. And I think Yarrow is the speedy guy as the third center back in that situation. So, um, But to be honest, with Parker and Nilsson being so solid for since Nilsson's been in there, I'm not worried about it. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with what Matt said, and then I'm just gonna change the the top four. I'm gonna say AZ in the as the ten, obviously Klaus as the striker, and then perhaps Stroud and um, Ostrak to start it off on the wings. So um, I just think that's been working. I don't think we're gonna go four four two in this one. It doesn't feel like pressing with two strikers against Seattle's uh, defense is the way to go. But even if it is. It almost shows me that Carnell wants to double down on the press and really get them in the back before they can hurt us. So it'll be fun to watch the uh, gigging and pressing of both teams on in which which where the play ends up being most of the game. Really good lineup, guys. Really enjoyed that. We're a little out of time. I'm going to skip our score predictions. Anything you want? Oh, Matt, Matt wants to do it. Quickly, guys, really quick. Go. one nothing, St. Louis. Santiago? 2-1 St. Louis. 3-1 St. Louis. We're flyover footy, everybody, on the big 550 KTRS. Thanks for joining us. Go City. Let's have a good one, guys.
welcome everyone to the wind down. What do we have today, Matt? Um, I'm back to the OCATs well. It's October, so this is I'm, I'm making my way through Oktoberfest, mm-hmm. and I've got plenty of these. Um, I think it's the best one, Urban Chestnuts Oktoberfest. Uh, but there are a ton of good Oktoberfest in the area, and uh, plug for Wine and Cheese Store because they have a ton of legit like German Oktoberfests from breweries that I am not familiar with, but they have some good stuff. Yeah, I once did a deep dive. I just found like the top 30 Oktoberfest beers in the mm-hmm. in the world that the world has to offer. And uh, I bought like four of them. Um, I would say Ocats is up there with one of the best for real. I love it. And next year I'm going to buy like 30 of them if I can. <laughs> just ride it. To, ride it while it's hot. Like that is. Yeah. Um, I have red wine. Because it's Ooh. a red wine night for me. What do you have, Santiago? Uh, I'm also having an Oktoberfest, but um, it's not from St. Louis, so sorry about that. Having a from... Sam Adams October, Oktoberfest. Oh, yeah, they're they're good too. You can't go wrong with it. I wonder yeah. if maybe it was a Colombian Oktoberfest. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Does such a thing exist? I have no idea. I'm going to say no, but I don't know. Uh, just trying to be goofy. Um, Matt, what do you have for us? Let's start the, the wind down here properly. My my first topic, I think you've moved uh, down a little bit, which I love not being the only one who does this, uh, who, who has input on our order. Uh, let's talk about player salaries, mm. right? Because this was a week that uh, we had the second of two MLSPA player salary dumps where they provide transparency as much as they can into how much each player makes and what and, and allows us uh, who love to keep nerdy spreadsheets and try to tabulate how much our club is worth and what we've spent in Gam and Tam and make sense, read between the lines of all the stuff. Unfortunately, all the Players Association can do through their CBA is provide the player's current annual base salary and their annualized average guaranteed compensation. What, what these numbers do is they tell us, uh, well, the second one, the, the annualized guaranteed compensation it includes marketing bonuses, includes agent fees, but it annualizes it over the term of the contract. And this is important for MLS roster rules because the way that the salary cap works, the way that player players' salary hits work to the cap is their annualized salary over the life of their contract. It is the reason that we have the feasibility to buy down Edu Leuven, but we do not have the ability to buy down Klaus from his DP contract. The The... The transfer fees play into that in an annualized basis, but what the PA numbers do, they don't provide transfer fee numbers, they just provide players' salary. And from that, we can glean information, some of which we already knew, but information like Roman Berkey is the highest paid city player with a guaranteed compensation listed at $1.632 million, and that puts him right where we know he is at that max TAM deal. So you're looking at roster rules, because that's what this relates to, right, is roster mm-hmm. rules. Max Tam, meaning that he's making what on the books you have to report as a maximum player salary of about about six hundred fifty-one thousand, and then you're allowed to spend up to a million dollars in targeted allocation money on top of that uh, before a player has to be classified as a designated player. And those designated players can be paid anything. And transfer fees are included in this overall number. Oh. Berkey came to us on a free transfer, so that's why the only thing that matters for him is his guaranteed compensation. So he's right at that Max Tam deal. 
And once, and the good thing about these numbers on the on the PA is, you know, after the first season, doesn't that kind of, in most cases, not all cases, disqualify the transfer fee, uh, because most of that goes into the salary cap on the first year, right? It doesn't go into the second year. That's what we thought before we uh, entered the league. But as it would turn out, mm. and from sources throughout the league that I've talked to, the transfer fee is annualized as well. And so as in the same, the full amount every year or so it it doesn't really matter. Like each year technically doesn't, it it doesn't matter looking at it from that point of view. It looks, it looks to say like, basically if you had, and I'm just pulling numbers out. If you had Klaus making $4 million a year, um, no, let's say $1 million. Let's say Klaus makes $1 million a year over four years. Mm -hmm. And his transfer fee was $4 million. You would take that $4 million and average it out over the life of the contract. In this okay. case, the contract is four years. So it would be an extra million on top of his $1 million salary. That would take his annualized average um, cap hit to $2 million, $1 million per year on his guaranteed contract, and then an annualized transfer fee over the four years of $1 million. That's the kind of thing we're dealing with, where with Klaus, the numbers t- take him over the threshold annualized transfer fee and salary of the 1.65 mm-hmm. million. But Leuven is annualized to be just under that. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was like 1.3. So if if we wanted to buy down Leuven at some point, we could. If we wanted to buy down Klaus, we couldn't. And if we wanted to classify Berkey as a DP, which we might be doing this year for bookkeeping mm-hmm. purposes, we could do that. A lot, some flexibility there. Yeah, that's super clear, though. I think we were unsure before, but now it sounds like we're, we're very clear of exactly how that works as far yeah. as annual numbers. Uh, Matt, I wanted to skip my put this. I'm the one that moved this to the front because I really loved your take. I'll get it wrong if I say it myself, but it had something to do with how much we spent and what does that mean for us and the other teams in the top, what, three or four that also yeah. did not spend much money? Yeah, so... So there's an article that The Athletic had posted, and it's basically a follow-up of what they put out earlier this year, talking about how MLS teams are spending on players in 2023 by wage bracket. And so these are salaries. These are these do not take transfer fees into account. Um, these are salaries. And so you see they've categorized players into salaries that are below the senior max level. That's 651000 I talked about. Players that fall between that 651 and 1.651, the targeted allocation money group. And then people above the 1.651 designated players. And then they have a new category called the Lionel Messi category. (laughs) (laughs) Only only one guy in there. And he takes up 76.8% of Miami's overall designated player salary. Of their three DPs, he takes up uh, three quarters of that money because he makes over over $20 million guaranteed just from his MLS contract. That's not taking into consideration performance bonuses because that's the kicker is that any performance bonus is not reported as part of these contracts. That's above and beyond. So no insights into that because they're not guaranteed. Um, but no, this this table that The Athletic put out is fascinating to me because I framed it in the sense of the overall larger landscape conversation of loosening the roster rule restrictions that fans want to see and a lot of owners want to see now, especially the newer owners in the league, and and how that can be looked at from a lens of the the productivity and the success of the teams relative to the amounts they spent. If you look at 2023 in a bubble, I don't know that the argument is well supported 
that teams should be able to spend more in order to be competitive. Now, this is only in the bubble of MLS, right? We're not talking Continental. We're not talking Leagues Cup. We're not talking anything outside of the parity bubble that is MLS when I, when I look at this. And so you see the top three spending teams. And tell me if you remember when, when these teams were eliminated from the playoffs this year. Inter-Miami, Toronto FC, LA Galaxy. Those are the top three spenders by uh, country mile. Miami has spent a total of around $39 million total on their roster. Toronto has spent a total of 32 and LA Galaxy has spent a total of 25 million. The next highest is LAFC and Chicago around 20. And then it just kind of gradually lowers from there. So looking at spend equals results, it's, it's quite the opposite. Spend does not equal results in today's landscape of MLS. I think the, Lutz Fennenstiel idea of a crafty roster construction is and 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 Pat Noonan and, and his group over in Cincinnati mm-hmm. um, and Chris Albright I think is the GM there like they deserve credit for how they've been able to craft rosters with not having this massive roster spend. Um, you look at and this is the other factor is those were the unsuccessful teams. You look at where the successful teams, the overly successful teams this year fall. FC Cincinnati is in the bottom ten of overall roster spend at just over 14 million. The bottom three teams are St. Louis City, CF Montreal, and Orlando City. Now you can't you can't always draw conclusions every team. You look for trends, you look for um, o- overall, like the, the fact that you can point to FC Cincinnati, Real Salt Lake, Philadelphia Union, St. Louis City, and Orlando as bottom 10 teams. You look at those kinds of trends, not your aberrations, like the fact that LAFC spends fourth most and they're a successful team or cf montreal spends the second least and they're a a perennial um, bottom feeder team st louis city and orlando city are the other two teams to really look at two of the bottom three making spending just over 11 and just under 10 million that's the really interesting thing to me is how these teams have been able to to craft successful rosters for an entire mls season so far and away better than than their opponents and their opposition the fc cincinnati's orlando city and st louis and and looking at some tables and charts that show how often those teams have been at the top of the table or near the top throughout the season st louis i think i saw has only spent five weeks total around five weeks of the entire season not in first place that's crazy mm-hmm. for being the third lowest spend team fc cincinnati for being about the 10th lowest spend has only spent three weeks outside of first place and so you look at you look at what these low roster spends and high roster spends mean for success in MLS, and you can't make any kind of of conclusion that spending more inherently means you're going to win more. And this is important to me for St. Louis City fans in particular because there's often a conversation around transfer time of when are we going to sign the big name scorer, and this this these facts really go in the face of needing to do that. I understand the flashiness. I understand the sexiness of a big name a signee or a high dollar designated player. But if you have the right people in place in your sporting department, it's a proven fact based on these numbers alone that you don't need that. I don't want to say proven fact, but I'll argue that later. What were you going to say, Santiago? So I don't know how often this has happened or if it has even happened, but just thinking Orlando, Cincinnati, St. Louis, can you imagine if the MLS Cup 
is St. Louis City against either Orlando or Cincinnati. Like the, the three teams at the bottom making it to the final. I would love it. It seems surreal, right? I would love, actually, I would hate it for lots of reasons. First we'd of have all, to travel to one of the two teams that, <laughs> yeah, right. that we need to. First of all, I am shocked that Orlando City's at the bottom because they play, to me, they play like a, an expensive team. I thought they were. I thought they were going to be high on the list. I they mean, shed. They, they shed a lot of their salary uh, either mid-season or earlier this season. I saw some comments saying okay. that they their fans were impressed with how they've been able to withstand the back half of the season after shedding some of their contracts. And this may just be a different way to say the same thing. So I may not be differentiating from you, Matt. Um, but I just wonder if this more speaks to the quality of your GM because it might just be a correlation between people spending a lot and having a, B, a bad GM more than don't spend too much because that means you're going to be a better team if you don't. It's like a good GM finds the most talent for the least money. That's how you win when there's a salary cap, in my opinion. And maybe there's no difference between what you're saying and what I'm saying. Um, maybe this is a silly thing to say. But you know when you mention Toronto and LA Galaxy... Those are two of the most wasteful teams when it comes to salary. And Galaxy, Toronto, it's a somewhat new thing. Galaxy's been that for, like, how long? You know, how long ago did they have uh, Zlatan? You know, it's just, they've been a mess for a long time. Chicago Fire, same. Atlanta United, not so much. Sounders, not so much. They're starting to get old. Um, And then I think we're getting into the middle at that point. Inter-Miami, Caveat, right? Because it's it's newly spent money. <laughs> they didn't have time to use that money properly before making the playoffs. But well, they did. They just didn't. They didn't focus on the MLS season, is what they did. Right. I think so. So that's that's an interesting point that Miami actually has proven that they can be successful. Um, but can you really draw any overall conclusions when the reason for their success is Lionel Messi? No, like I get. I and that's Not that's yet. the reason that. The, yeah, well, in the MLS season, like he's won them a league's cup. He's got them silverware this year. He almost won them a U.S. Open Cup. And there, there have been. Uh, this is another thing that Taylor Twelman was kind of taken to task on on Twitter is his defense of Inter Miami as a good team without Messi. And stats don't back that up. They show that they're they're not the same team from an XG perspective. Most egregiously, that we see we've seen the results without Messi. But we know that they're just not a, they're not the same team. And mm-hmm. so so looking at their roster spend, I don't know. I, I try not to draw too much conclusions about, you know, Jordi Alba or Sergio Busquets because they you don't know, play positions that, that change the game in that in that sense. They can prevent a lot of stuff and they can facilitate, but you know, they're not going to um, win the game in the ninetieth minute with a, a free kick like Lionel Messi would. And mm-hmm. that's where a lot of their salary is coming from. Um, next year is gonna be a really interesting uh, example and case study in how Inter Miami can withstand a full season with an, an ideally healthy Messi and what they can do in league play that you know may change some of the narrative around roster spend. But before that, I do think, regardless of my my comment of I wonder how much the the standings hurt the argument of roster flexibility. I do want to be very clear that I still think there is movement in that general direction like i don't think i just i was wondering out loud if owners who don't want to to change the needle to move the needle and make changes in the overall roster rules and cbas if they would use this table 
and the standings right now as an argument yeah. for why we don't need that. Because we MLS has always been about keeping parity. That's still occurring. It's occurring at a higher level because they're seeing more progress in CONCACAF Champions League, Champions Cup, and they're competitive in Leagues Cup. Like all of these things can be pointed to as reasons why this slow and steady growth is still working. But I think that loses sight of the bigger picture. I'm nothing if not the best person at arguing with myself. And I, I do think that all of those points may be valid in a certain argument, but it loses sight of the bigger picture of the opportunity that the 2026 World Cup provides and the need, the absolute need to take massive steps in the growth of this league in the next two years. Yeah, I think I think some change is definitely needed. And uh, Miami will be a great case study next year. Not only a full year in the league with hopefully a healthy Messi, but if they are competitive in CONCACAF Champions Cup with the roster they have, uh, it's also another, another point uh, to show that maybe uh, more flexible roster rules are needed. And uh, the other thing, if I'm in a position, I'm an owner in the Eastern Conference, and I know I have to compete against Messi, I think I, I want... Uh, some more flexibility so uh, I can um, bring um, some more players that will help me compete. The problem is, and, and you were talking about that, uh, a lot of these teams, um, just they just spend and spend, but they, they don't, the way they spend is not smart. Uh, so they're not getting the, the right group of players or they're getting a player that is too expensive and then they don't build anything around him. But I think there is a middle point where you could add more money and uh, some of these GMs that are really good will make good use of that money. To, to build on what Santiago just said, I agree. I think smart spending of that extra money will go a lot further when it's someone like Lutz Van Steel, when it's Cincinnati looking at players. But, you know, I don't want to jump. Um, Matt, you kind of said this. I don't want to jump to too many conclusions because – you know, CONCACAF Champions Cup, which I'll keep saying that phrase a few more shows before I stop calling it that and refer to it as CCC. Um, just a warning, everybody. CCC is what it will be from now on. But it's coming. Yeah. Um, but it's coming. It's, it's coming to St. Louis. And when I look at our roster, like we are one. I've said this so many times. We are one of the best teams when rotated in the entire league. And we rely on that, right, as our as our profile, as our type of play. But on top of that, I am super scared about what is coming to get us next year in CCC in that, yes, we can rotate a ton, but how tired is even the rotated squad going to get by the end of the season if we keep doing this? And um, I don't necessarily want more money for my team other than just, again, easing those roster restrictions let us have more people on the roster so we can rotate in for ccc but also like let us pull up more kids you know more players from city too because and that's something that the league wants to do anyway like let us pull more kids up more often like i think johnny klein would have gotten up to 400 500 minutes if we were allowed to pull him up more than twice just because he would have been useful as a as a sub if we were ahead johnny klein would have got a minutes you know and maybe um glover could have gotten some more time just give us 
more options, more ability to call players up from that City 2 team. It's why we have them there. It's the whole point. And we MLS wants us to win something like CCC and then be able to claim the League's Cup and be able to claim MLS Club if we can. I would love to see someone win the trouble in the next 10 years. Of course, I'd love it to be City. Um, but, you know... Let I'm okay with opening up money too because I think I love seeing. I'm so glad we're not in Miami. I'm so glad we're not spending a ton of money. I'm so glad we're not looking at bringing in on top of all the other players they've brought in uh, someone like um, what's his name Suarez, Luis Suarez. Like that's just gonna <laughs> muddy the waters like even more. That's another old guy that could build a, a, a style around and then get hurt. And then what do you do when that guy's gone? After all you've done is built around one person, you know, Miami's in, in trouble. I think I don't want to, I wouldn't want to be a Miami fan other than being able to see Messi play. Um, I'm so glad I'm a city fan, but like, let these clubs go and spend their tons of money and build their rosters around these guys that may or may not, uh, work out and let us just like build that designated team, make that designated team bigger. And I think you're going to see someone like city, someone like Philly, someone like Cincinnati, really really shine with less money i look forward to it i think it's going to happen sooner than later i hope the other things about the uh the salary cap if you want to pivot to how it affects city yes is um just the the new the new players so the heads up on what the salaries of the new players are that we acquired this this summer transfer window anthony Marcanic comes to us uh with one of the lowest base salaries in the entire league straight from Colorado making league minimum $68,775. And so think about, think about the deal. Think about the production he's given. Think about that value (laughs) because it blows my mind to think about the difference that he's made on that side of the field at that salary. And just the, the shrewdness, the savvy deal making and identification that Lutz has it. This is another example, and because it's it's so clearly a trend now of his ability to find these undervalued players, bring them in, and they make instant differences in your team. That's that's an insane, it's an insane identification, and knowing that we have such a weird, I don't even know how to describe what's going on with our left back depth chart here. It's <laughs> it's, it's such a weird dichotomy going on between Johnny yeah. Nelson. And then losing the spot to Kyle Hebert, who is not even close to the same left back. And then bringing on Anthony Marcanic, who more reminds you of what Johnny Nelson was with a more attacking presence. He wants to get Mm -hmm. higher up on the field. And he's willing to be more physical and, if anything, more inverted, moving inside into the channels a little bit. It's... I think that he he is also a reason why Jake Nerwinski has come back on the scene as a right back because when you have that you need you need the uh, balance you need the balance yeah exactly and Nerwinski provides that and the other player obviously that we acquired this summer is Nukvi Thorson Thorson was an interesting he was an interesting player to follow when we were uh, when we were recruiting him or um, trying to sign him in the sense that his transfer fee was at one point rumored to be in the million dollar range mm-hmm. and that was loot shot that one down as quick as possible that was way too high they were not looking to go up there i think the final rumored transfer fee ended up being somewhere around six hundred thousand. right is that does that right santi yeah it was in the five hundred thousand to six hundred thousand mm-hmm. and and it puts him in at that range the third highest transfer fee on the team after klaus and lubin 
Um, so we were wondering what his salary would be given that high transfer fee and knowing the value that Lutz saw in, in Thorson. Well, I guess pleasantly surprising is that his salary's guaranteed compensation, and remember, this is the annualized average guaranteed compensation. So this number, best of my knowledge, despite the fact that he joined the team halfway through the year, is his annualized average compensation throughout his contract is $172,438. That puts him 14th on the team in highest paid players, right below Isak Jensen and Jake Nerwinski, who are significantly higher at 228 and $277. Um, so that's an, it's an interesting spot to see Thorson. And, you know, these, these conversations about the dollar amounts are something we talk about probably once or twice two or three times a season because they're pertinent when the roster salary, when the player salaries are released, they're pertinent in the off season. When we talk about the roster construction and who has flexibility, who doesn't, who might we move, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, I, th I think that the production that we've seen from Thorson is just a glimmer of what we can expect over the next couple of years. He's one of those players that I think is a clear shot, long-term plan for Lutz and he brings him in now and yes, he can, uh, if you remember, remember in the summer for Thorson, Lutz talked about, yeah, we hope that he can contribute this year. Well, there, all these things are leading to Thorson being a much more prominent role or hoping to have a more prominent role in the next year or so. And, and that's why I wouldn't read too much into his production this year. I see him as being signed in this offseason and recruited heavily, like Lutz going mm -hmm. out there in Europe uh, and, and all of the, the targeted means with which we brought him here. He was a guy that we we saw, we recruited, we scouted, and we wanted really badly. And there was a lot of negotiations. Lutz even said it wasn't easy. And so when you have that occur, you have a clear idea for somebody. And to get him on a contract for one hundred seventy-two thousand, also good business. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he wanted to pay that much, but it, I think there wasn't a lot available. And I think he was by far the best that we could get for the money. I would love to see a stat that's like salary dollars spent per minute played in MLS <laughs> because I think uh, Marcanic, man, oh. just thinking about that with Marcanic, it'd be really interesting oh to see, my God. especially what, next year. What a steal. Yeah. Well, because Mar Marcanic came to us from the Colorado Rapids and he was toiling with Rapids too. Right. It's hilarious. Yeah. It, it, it's honestly a hilarious story because the Rapids too are one of the best teams in MLS next pro. They earn themselves <laughs> a buy in the playoffs. Marcanic's down there with that team, uh, just killing it with next pro for some reason, Colorado never gave him a shot to break through with the first team. And then we scoop him up and suddenly he moves to us as another highly successful team. So you have to look at him as just having success wherever he goes as an individual player. And for us to get him at the league minimum, supplemental roster minimum, that's it's pretty fantastic. Agree. Uh, the next topic is near and dear to my heart. I love Soccer Bible, and it's something uh, I follow them on Instagram. I'm sure they're in other places, but on Instagram, you can just rely on them. Like, if someone has a cool, usually like kind of street style meets actual like fashion design um, with a having to do with a soccer club, like guaranteed, mm -hmm. Soccer Bible is going to post it, and you often see really cool, fashionable photo shoots mixing jerseys and sportswear with really high fashion and streetwear it's just a lot of fun to follow and to see that city has this awesome collaboration 
with Soccer Bible. Um, shoot, what is the name? I'm, I'm, the name is blanking right now. Inaugural. Thank you. Inaugural. So clearly it's, you know, celebrating City's success with their inaugural season as an expansion team. Clearly a lot of success. This was done months ago and the success wasn't quite as obvious back then. A friend of mine was a producer, I think, on, on the shoot or an assistant or something. Um, so I got to kind of get a little preview of it before it came. But I didn't know what it would be. Um, either way, we've gotten to preview and I think you guys have probably seen by now some of the really amazing shots that were taken. Some of them are live shots, just like shots of just like throughout the season, things that City has done, fans, supporter groups, um, a lot of photo shoots that have been done with a lot of City merchandise and different things throughout the season. Um, but, you know, my favorite picture that I posted today was like people model there. So I, Peter Wood had commented and said they're St. Louis models. They're wearing St. Louis City gear. There was a really cool knit uh, crop top on one of the girls over one of the, the jerseys that was really cool, something my wife would love or, or even make. She knits. And um, so I loved that, of course. And then standing in front of Courtesy Diner, you know, like hitting yeah. some three really good ones for me personally. And so I, I loved that. And it's just full. Matt, you put on the notes here. Skate Laborious is in there. It's just like too much to name. It's 304 pages of full color looks like a magazine like good tabletop reading kind of thing conversational piece it's something i cannot wait i think they're going to sell it starting on saturday on game day at um at the city pavilion uh, yeah pre-sale is already actually out on the oh, website thank you uh, so if you're listening to the, if you're watching the stream or listening to this on friday morning you can go to um i think it's stl city go and on their website they've got the store where they you can pre-order it and they said as part of the special promotion by the club, all fans who order inaugural via the city app or on the website by 11.59 p.m. on Friday, October 20th, will have a chance to receive one of 50 team-signed copies of the book. We're talking full Ooh. team sign them. I, they showed a wow. he's the picture, full team signatures. So mm. if you're thinking about doing it, and I believe, I don't have the exact price, but it's 50 bucks. That's how much yeah. this collector's tabletop book is, 303 pages. Um, I, I can't... I, Echo everything you said, Phil. Cannot recommend it enough. And just looking, I'm looking through the history of, at this point, you have to say, history of soccer Bible in St. Louis City. And it started back in, I would say, the middle of 2022 yeah. when Mastermind joined St. Louis City as their, um, what was he called? The music director, not music director. That sounds too cool. No, I think that's right. Anyway, Mastermind joined St. Louis to create the musical environment uh, for for City Park. And at the time, um, what what City did is they their team, uh, Ken Early, Pete Wood, all those guys, um, Neil Weissman, their creative group, they were taking photos of Mastermind. And I'm looking at a tweet from June of 2022 where mm. Ken, e Ken Early specifically says, always an inspiration at Soccer Bible, Pete. And so talking through uh, who the the ringleader of soccer bible is pete martin and he commented on that mm -hmm. and how that that photo shoot gave full-on soccer bible vibes and and just looking at what that ended up potentially leading into like that's how conversations that's how deals of these magnitude kind of start is you you tag somebody you mention them they see it they like it they want to do work with uh -huh. you they see they see the work that you've done and they say yeah this this fits our style we want to partner with you and that led to the beginning of this year when Soccer Bible was invited out to City Park, and they say it in their release. I'm looking at the Soccer Bible um, inaugural like press release article 
where they say they were invited to the Charlotte FC match, the first mm -hmm. match to open City Park. Awesome. And that's where everything started. So they're presenting this the inaugural as a way to showcase St. Louis, showcase the team, the city, the moment in time, and have this be that timepiece where 10, 15 years from now, you can just pull this out. You can show your kids. You can show your grandparents. You can show you know, your future spouse, and you can say, I was here when. And this is these moments capture the vibe. They capture the atmosphere. They capture what it was like when when we were going through this magical moment. And I think it's fantastic that this that the club, St. Louis City, has the foresight to work with a group as like you you talked about their credentials, Phil, yeah. as as story to soccer bible to caretake something of this magnitude. Because that's what it is. They're caretaking all these moments for us in the future. And it it is a joy to me as a fan to know that the people who are responsible for cataloging, capturing, preserving all of these moments and memories are doing such a phenomenal job with it. Well said. Yeah, just to think about like, you know, I think Venezia, the Venezia photo shoots the last two seasons with their awesome jersey really caught my eye first. But we're talking Juventus, like uh, Man City, Arsenal, just you name the club, even small clubs, tinier clubs in city by far are doing really cool stuff and they'll seek it out. And like, what does that say about our creative team that like one of our first games, they're like trying to get soccer Bible out like they're just so on point with what they're trying to do in every area. We're so lucky, guys, to have such a cool creative team. Um, so proud of the club and, and happy that they're working so hard for us. Love it. Really fun one here. Do you guys know if they have done other collaborations with other MLS teams? Yeah, I think Austin. I want to say Austin had one, um, but I'm not sure. We should look at their history. I would actually be curious about that. Maybe I'll post that tomorrow. Um, Matt, do you want to, we only have like seven, eight minutes here. Uh, they did. They did. There was something, they at least did an interview. Um, you know, one of the great things about, uh, Twitter, which isn't something that you should say often because it's turning into a, a dumpster fire, agree. but the search feature actually is fairly helpful. And so it looks like back in February, 2022, at the least they did some kind of an article or interview with Austin. So there've mm. been collaborations with other MLS teams. I would be interested to see if they have done something to this magnitude mm -hmm. where they've pr mm -hmm. produced produce this type of commemorative feature, something tangible for you to take for, for fans to live with. The front page of Soccer Bible. Uh, yeah. yeah. You can see it's our it's our inaugural thing. It's, it's, so it's a big yeah, deal the, for them too. Yep. And I would be I, I would be interested to see if, if other teams have done something like this, but I, I would be skeptical right now off the cuff, knowing that um, our team tends to be a little more um, future looking they, they they seem to be a little more um aware of what will stand the test of time and so this yeah. I, I believe it was city that reached out to soccer bible based on their language and their article saying they wanted to invite them and have them experience and help them yeah they said St. Louis city SC asked us to produce a showpiece framed around the club's first ever mls match and so that's what we have now mm -hmm. that's that's okay. the kind of thing that we as fans get to enjoy and we need to we need to appreciate that for what it is. I'm not saying rain praise on the club and rain praise on people doing their job, but they're do we we get to experience these things and whether whoever you want to uh, credit for this, like it's something that we get to have tangibly to look at in our spare time and to enjoy and that has to be appreciated. 
to be fair, I will say to answer Santiago's question, MLS and Adidas announce a multi-year extension. Oh, never mind. That's them. Never mind. Never mind. So yeah, I'm I'm looking. I'm scrolling through all the MLS stuff on their website, and there's not a ton. So I think City has made a special effort here ahead of some other teams to do that. Yep. Um, Matt, I want you to talk about your thing uh, before we get out of here. If you want to take like five minutes or so, or would you rather not? Yeah. I mean, we no, got that so, out of the bobblehead. <laughs> well, let's start with, well, let's finish with the bobblehead because that's a little more exciting. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was just some, we talked about this in our stream at the very beginning. Uh, if anybody's been to City Park, you know of what happens when City plays a night game after dark. And it, well, it happens at, at all hours, but um, especially what it, the ambiance is like, the atmosphere is like after dark when the the lights just absolutely go out um i'm blanking on the music that plays and i'm gonna regret this tomorrow when i can't think of it uh phil i feel like you should be helping me out here with the but lights with the song what what song is it on with that plays with the lights yes in our stadium it's the dun 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 you know it's like a siren sounding synthesizer is that what you mean? It's, up, it's uprising by Muse. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah, it is that once. The warm up is the thing I just did, and then it plays Muse. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for vamping, though. It gave me time to look at because there is. Uh, I enjoy the build up of the siren, so that's just me. That's sec- just me. secondary plug. There's a playlist on Apple Music that is St. Louis City SC and Uprising by Muse is on. There. <laughs> but when this song plays, the lights dim. Uh, everything goes out, complete black, and then there's the city red, the stripes, the lights throughout the stadium, and it is, I posted videos of it, it is the most insane, intense, like, just fervent, bu- everything builds to that moment. There's a crescendo that builds up as this happens with the drum beat that occurs right after it, the atmosphere is perfect, the the vibes are perfect, and everything about what that moment creates is perfect for starting a soccer match. Um, what happened today as we're recording this on, uh, on Thursday is sporting Kansas city mentioned a, they had a tweet that said that they were doing a lights out. They invited everyone to arrive early to their decision day match because during pregame, we're going dark when the pre-match show starts, it'll be lights out at children's mercy park. And if you go look at their Twitter, go look at their X. If you look at the picture they posted, you tell me that it's not the city, the Children's Mercy version of City Park, because there is nothing that I see in here that isn't exactly what we have with the color shifted to blue. And so I made the obvious comment to that on their on their post that, wow, what a cool idea that it only took you until STL entered the league and two visits to see it happen before you did it posting a video of our own um, lights out moment that we do before every single game. (laughs) I never tried to position it as St. Louis was the first St. Louis was the only even, I didn't even say St. Louis was the best. I didn't say any of these things. I just said that I, I was making the correlation very clearly that, wow, sporting Kansas city came to St. Louis twice. One was less than a month ago. And now suddenly you're doing a lights out that is exactly like ours. We're not even talking about inspired by. We're not talking about an alliteration to. We're talking about exactly ours. And so that's what I was getting at. 
the thought police were coming after you on that one i think is what happened. oh yeah they were all after man <laughs> i was hit by by fans of all different types i was hit by journalists in kansas city i was even hit by you know, and if people are listening to this and they followed some of the kansas city folks on twitter journalists in air quotes some of them <laughs> whom have theirs in their their twitter bio and i can I can assure you that the way they act is not uh, befitting of a journalist. But um, they they did not like what I had to say. They they very much drew the line from what I said to, oh, St. Louis thinks they're the first team to ever do this. Oh, St. Louis thinks that soccer didn't exist before they came in. St. Louis thinks that they're the soccer capital. Like it got wild out here on the responses to this and. My, I guess my positive takeaway is that if you're going to ruffle somebody's feathers and make them think things that you didn't say because they want a reason to go after you or they want to uh, draw conclusions to what you're saying, I guess that's fine. It's, I guess, feel, it, making people feel a certain way is better than um, apathy in general, if you can look at it that way. <laughs> but, yeah, it's um, it was wild out there because there, there's a lot of – it. A lot of the Kansas City-St. Louis rivalry so far has been um, all over the board with very heavy undertones of uh, corporate handlings as far as the cease and desists and what Sporting's legal department has decided to do. But uh, to me, this was good good fun in the sense that isn't this kind of what you want fans to do? Like take obvious digs at each other, take shots when shots should be taken. And, and you see like the club, a, a club put something out and it's so very clearly a direct ripoff of what someone else is doing. Shouldn't that be called out? And my, my kicker to this is, um, I don't get to say this often, but sources tell me that the last time Sporting Kansas City was in St. Louis, their staff or front office did ask about specific details from our front office on how we did that pre-match lights off. And hmm. suddenly, less than a month later, they decide to do it themselves. If you can't draw that connection from that straight line connection, I don't know. I can't help you. Hmm. That's very interesting. So if, hopefully this doesn't happen, <laughs> but uh, if... Sporting KC ends up making it to the playoffs. Yeah. They make it to a playing game and advance and play City. Are we gonna see the battle of the light shows or <laughs> what is it gonna what is this gonna be called? <laughs> if this becomes the light show derby, Let's I will not, lose my mind. Can we just not call it a light show either? Like that's to me that's <laughs> the weirdest part is like yeah, my forty-year-old. Oh man, I'm forty. My sixty-year-old grandma that's a came good question. and called it a light show. It's like that's it, a let's not good call question. it a light show. I'm not let's... even sure. I'm not even sure where that specific phrase came from because they called Sporting Casey called it lights out. I did not mention the words light show. I'm fairly certain that came from responses to me that said Casey's done a light show before, because <laughs> I've seen that phrase all day long. Right. Yeah. Somebody's like, yeah, I hate to break it to you, homie, but STL didn't invent light shows. <laughs> yeah, light shows were never done before this year. Totally right. My Lord. All those things. Yeah. But to Sporting Casey's credit, let's be honest here. Let's be fair. Let's be fair. Right? Let's be fair. They've done a smartphone light show 
Phil, where they've had some kind of um, coordinated effort to tell fans, hey, do this with your smartphone, hold it up before the match, we'll lower the lights, and then your phones will do something fun. So hmm. they've done that. And then somebody posted in 2017, they actually uh, dimmed the lights and made uh, the hues blue. It wasn't the the show type thing, right? It wasn't, mu- they didn't have music. It was a silent moment. I think it was somber about something, but it was a silent moment. It was the lights all went dark and they had blue. But what I'm expecting, and, and I might be putting the cart in front of the horrors, but let's see what they do on Saturday just to see how similar it looks to what St. Louis did. I'm not saying they play um, the exact specific, you know, uprising by Muse, but because I think that would be a little too on the nose. But I would not be surprised to see the exact same um, type of show that St. Louis is used to every single match. And yes, Austin did do that last year, but... Yeah, they've to, done it to, from the beginning. Yeah, so. but to my knowledge, the, Sporting Kansas City hasn't traveled to Austin in the past month. Where SKC asked this, <laughs> the Austin front office, "Hey, how did you do that so we can do ours in less than a month?" No one owns the MLS light shows. Everybody, you know, everyone can it's have not a about, light show if they want. It's, it's not, fine. And, and this even illustrates it's who cares who did something first. Who cares <laughs> right. who is if you're the only person that does it why not just be the best at it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like our, when I posted that video a few weeks ago mm-hmm. of the, the, the dark one, like the really nice one a couple weeks ago at the, at one of our home matches, um, that one, like Twelman retweeted that, that one, MLS tweeted it out. Like that one got traction because of the quality of what it is. Nothing to do with me. It's the, what was in the stadium. Like that atmosphere yeah. created was showcased. And that's what you want. You want the appreciation for the culture and the atmosphere that you create. Who gives a damn if you're the first, the only, or anything like that? Like, I just want people to talk about St. Louis City, to appreciate what's happening in St. Louis. And this does it. Being a a knockoff of the state next door doesn't quite move the needle in the same way. And I'll even say, like, it's funny. I didn't think about this till you put it that way, Matt. But when um, there were kind of hints that St. Louis was going to have lights and and this special light thing, I was like, because I like I knew Austin was doing it. And theirs is very good. I mean, it's really good. Very well done. I think as far as I know, they were kind of the first that I knew that did it. Well, supporters glow as well. So that's that's pretty cool, too. They've got the drums queued up to that agree oh i didn't know it was queued up that's fine well done Mm. but um you know anytime you do something and you're not the first to do it and it's a cool idea that is even scarier than being the first to do it because yeah it's just like props to our creative department because they were going to do something that's been done already and we could have done it and then had a million people pointed us like we're pointing at kansas city but it was it was done in good taste. It was well done. It's red. It's slightly different in a few different ways. Um, and none of us were here saying we're the best or the first to do it. And it, everything was fine. They did well, right? And so I think that's the scary part about sporting is that um, maybe they didn't do it quite as original enough, as interesting enough. I don't know. Either that or we're just massive jerks and Austin folks are very yeah. forgiving. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and to be fair, no, like I, I hope I'm clear. Like who cares who did it first? If Austin Agreed. did it first, then all credit to them. If somebody else did it first in that <laughs> concept, like great, but it's, it's not, 
whoever did it first, yeah, you've got a, a, a bit of, you know, hanging that over everybody's heads and you thought of it first, but it's all iterative. You want to you want to improve and learn from everybody else. It's the same concept with everything. Soccer specific stadiums like Columbus Crew were the first uh, for MLS. St. Louis makes the argument of soccer park, but regardless, like you can't argue that uh, Map Free Stadium is better than City Park because it was the first. Like that that whole concept is it's not even worth spending a lot of time on. Agreed. You can you just don't want to be. Uh, like like musicians, you don't want to be direct ripoffs. You want to iterate. You want to improve mm-hmm. upon and add your own flair to it. Don't be vanilla ice, everybody. <laughs> Play the clip. Or no. Millie Vanilli. Or Millie Vanilli. Right? Millie Vanilli, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's it from us, guys. Bobblehead. We got to end oh, with okay, Bobblehead. I don't want to end with Sporting Kansas City. I want to end yeah. with Dang bobblehead. But no, Nico Sports, uh, who we have partnered with before on Flyover to offer um, a commemorative soccer ball that is back here on my table that I'm showing right here on the stream. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the ones who provided this before. Well, they came out today as we're recording this on Thursday with a new um, limited edition, one of 144 currently in production, Roman Berkey bobblehead. It is fully licensed. They got all the rights. They got all the approvals. And they worked with a company that does, uh, I mean, it's not the Cardinals bobblehead that you can think of where it's like an arm might be missing or the neck might fall off in the third inning. This, this is, it is, it is high quality. It is uh, detailed. It has Berkey's tattoos. It has his captain's armband. Wow. And it's going to ship beginning of next year, I believe. And as we record this, the first batch has already sold out. Oh, so that's, really? Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And it's exciting that they they let us in on it. They let us talk about it. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that you love when all these local organizations are doing uh, more to tout city in official ways. Because I saw a post on Facebook on one of the groups about like, boy, I hope you're ready to get sued type of thing. But if you do it right, if you do this kind of thing right and you go through the licensing channels and the right. marketing channels – then you can make some really cool stuff, even if it's not directly from the team. And so this is 144 people, 144 um, bobbleheads are going to find their way around to city fans. And it's of the captain during our inaugural season. I saw one, uh, I think it was uh, the STL above from above count was talking about having it autographed by Berkey. That sounds pretty cool. Like the the idea that you can you can do that is is sweet. And this is another you know fun merch that they let us in on. And so we were going to, I was going to tout like, Hey, buy this thing. And, uh, proceeds from the, the sale will go back to the St. Louis TIFO fund, the St. Louis city TIFO fund that, um, God bless Stuart Holkren mm-hmm. for, for being one of those, uh, spearheading, uh, even, maybe even the leader of it. Um, I'm not sure nowadays, but funds that go back to the TIFO benefit everybody. We saw the wicked witch of the mm-hmm. West from Kansas that's what it goes to. And so it was awesome of Nico Sports to donate a per- portion of the proceeds back to that fund. Um, cool. Hope to see more of this in the future. And it's just another exciting city thing that we have on top of Soccer Bible to look forward to. Very cool. Cool of them to do all those things to include us as well. Uh, and lastly, the uh, you're not in Kansas anymore as a T-shirt, thanks to the Luligans, right? Luligans and Arch Apparel. Thank yeah, if you uh, if you're interested in any of the merchandise related to the TIFO official merchandise, um, check out the St. Luligans Twitter account uh, or go to archapparel.com. They have that available on their website, and uh, yeah, that's 
that is one of the the cornerstone things that I think the Luligans are looking to build to uh, and all the supporter groups, because I think the supporter groups work together. They take turns in who leads each one of these events in the TIFOs. We saw the Santos earlier this year. Um, you know, it, it goes back and forth into who takes the lead, but everybody deserves the credit because honestly, one of the most exciting things I've seen this year is uh, the supporter groups working together to make the North End what it is. From I the love Luligans, that. Luligans, Santos, uh, the Punks, Nonap City, Fleur de Noise being the cornerstone of it all, the, the one that quite honestly brings it all together on match day. Like all these things that we're talking about, TIFO funds, Arch Apparel, all that stuff. Um, I, I can't be more proud of what's happening in our sport of culture in St. Louis. I, lo- I love it. I love what's happening on, on the North End. And uh, speaking of Fleur de Noise, uh, there's going to be a coordinated effort coordinated effort on Saturday to do a full stadium chant uh, on the 10 minute of the game. So uh, for more details, uh, just check uh, the Florida Noise Twitter account. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. I, I hope it happens. It's just, you know, supporter groups often are you know synonymous with drama when it comes to multiple supporter groups around the world, really. This is a thing. And it, it speaks to... Um, all the supporters in St. Louis, their humility, their unity, their desire to, you know, be together for uh, something instead of fighting and arguing over who's on top. Um, a joy to see. Well done, everybody. Um, super proud of everybody. Um, and, you know, the, the Luligans could have taken, I think the Luligans could have rightfully taken the lead and said, we're in charge here. And they didn't. Uh, props to them for that as well. So good stuff. Good show, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for doing this, guys. It's fun. Yeah. Always excited as we finish the regular season. I can't believe we're here, right? Like, this is the last game of the regular season. We've been, I mean, we've been doing this for years, but I mean, things have really kicked into high gear this year. And to be at this point, knowing that we're not about to turn into the off season, the way everybody predicted us to at the beginning of the year. And we have, we have multiple weeks on the horizon. Hopefully we get to do more weirdness in a two week international break after the first round. <laughs> oh <But> yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I'm excited. Wow. I'm, I'm excited about everything that's to come. Yeah. I think this is show 75 and I want to thank Matt for pushing us to be consistent and wow. doing, you know, three fourths of the work all along the way. So thank you, Matt. I mean, again, can't believe we're here. 75 shows in one season is massive. So, hey, uh, I mean, we thanks to KTRS for uh, yes. helping us along the way, giving us that push to to do it, airing our show, being our partner like that. And there's more to come in the off season, right? Like this is the first year of city. This is the first year we took things to a new level after STLFC, after the Academy City, too. And we're not stopping. No, uh, you guys make it well worth it as well. So thanks for your questions and comments constantly and your support. I do absolutely adore the comments on twitter on youtube when we stream like i when i feel like i prep too much for these shows and put too many notes in and yeah we don't get to everything but legitimately if i have things that i want to talk about but we have chats that have better questions or more interesting or things that i didn't even think of like that gives me life knowing that we have an audience that wants to interact with us that cares about what we have to say that is that is the pinnacle of what you can hope for when we take the time to do what we do. Yep. Stuff in the works to uh, take it to the next level. Very small steps, but we'll get there, guys. It's fun. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for being here and listening this long if you made it. 
flyover footy. We're out of here. Bye, everybody.